0: Launched in 2022, OSF On-Call Digital Hospital is an innovative alternative to traditional hospital care for people with certain health conditions, and it allows you to receive hospital-level care from the comfort of your own home.
1: We got a product out that was safe and effective. Um, and the impetus really was COVID because the urgency was there and we didn't have time to overthink things. And so I think we had just-in-time solutions that really worked for patients and worked for the clinicians.
0: That's Dr. Matthew Gorman, Chief Medical Officer for OSF On Call. And I'm Shelly Dankoff, your host of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. On today's episode of Health Accelerated, it's a one-year checkup for the OSF on-call digital hospital. During the peak of COVID-19, OSF needed to care for patients in a way that reduced stress on hospitals and medical providers, while also reducing the chance of the illness spreading further. OSF Innovation and OSF OnCall launched a digital hospital-at-home concept, leveraging the idea from a Trailblazer Challenge proposal to advance home care for patients requiring three or more days in the hospital. The success of this program led to the development of the OSF OnCall Digital Hospital to provide hospital-level care at home for a variety of patients. Joining me are Dr. Matthew Gorman, Chief Medical Officer for OSF OnCall, and Melissa Meyer, Manager of Digital Care for the Digital Hospital Command Center. Thank you both for joining us today on this one-year checkup. And Dr. Gorman, about a year ago, you joined me for one of our early podcasts to talk about the Digital Hospital at Home program and what it was going to be. And we are going to do that in our one-year review here. But first, I talked about the process to get the Digital Hospital at Home launched and that it started as a trailblazer challenge. I want to start by explaining that process and how it helped launch the Digital Hospital at Home for our listeners. Tell me about the process to get us to this point.
1: Well, first, thank you for inviting us back. It's been a pleasure, and we've learned a lot along the last year. Um, the Trailblazer was really an innovative um, challenge um, that the government put before us to, to develop a better healthcare model. Um, and we started it, but it got amped up during COVID um, in terms of being able to take care of patients that were in the hospital in which we were kind of over capacity, and were able to take patients out of the hospital and safely provide care in the home. Um, and that was a lot of the work that was done to kind of show that we could safely care for patients that were in that three-day range of length of stay and could be safely done, and then we just kind of amped it up in terms of everything that surrounds uh, the digital hospital as we see today.
0: Yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic did that in a lot of ways. You know, we were going along nice and steadily like, this is a great concept. We should do this great for our patients, and all of a sudden it's kind of like COVID is the foot in the middle of your back and shoved you off the cliff, What was that like at first when you're like, oh, we're here and now we have to get to here very quickly? Tell me about that.
1: It moved rather rapidly and that probably helped us um, in terms of healthcare sometimes gets in its own way of working on perfection. Um, And so uh, we got a project, uh, a product out that was safe. Um, and effective. Um, and the impetus really was COVID because the urgency was there and we didn't have time to overthink things. And so I think we had just-in-time solutions that really worked for patients and work for the clinicians. And then the 2.0 version that we have today really has some lessons learned um, and then some other additional safety mechanisms and benefits um, that we have and as you get to kind of take a second look at it.
0: Okay. I'm going to turn to Melissa. So again, talk about the 2.0 version. You kind of manage that command center and the hospital at home program. Walk me through how it works, how patients get admitted to the hospital at home and who we are seeing.
2: We have APNs in the medical center who are screening our patients, uh, checking for clinical stability, social stability, determining if they're appropriate to come into our program. And then from there, you know, our team comes in and we transport them, whisk them away, get them home, set up equipment and begin providing care in their home. Yeah, that's the thing I think people don't realize. You don't have to have all this stuff in
0: your home. They talk about some of the medical equipment we provide to help provide that care at home.
2: Yeah, we bring a tablet into the home to provide video visits. We have biometric equipment to do vitals remotely, uh, backup power, backup internet source, And we're not treating all conditions. It's only certain
0: specific conditions and within a certain radius. For now, Peoria, Illinois, correct?
2: Correct, for now, but we are looking at expanding up into Rockford later this year.
0: So what are some of the conditions we are treating and how are we identifying those patients
2: who will benefit from this? A lot of uh, chronic illness, so CHF exacerbation, COPD exacerbation, um, some COVID, cellulitis, mild to moderate pneumonia. And the population, for the most part, is a little bit older. Yeah. A lot of our population is Medicare A and B, so certainly a lot of our elderly population are coming into the program. So, Dr. Gorman, uh, Melissa brings up a good point, the whole payer mix, because last year when we
0: talked, we were having to lobby legislators because this was something new and different. And at the end of the day, we have to be compensated to be able to continue delivering health care to where it is needed. So walk me through what that was like to get the legislative approval and then where we are with all of that and working with the payers to help this program exist.
1: Well, one, it's a learning uh, experience in terms of how our government really works, um, in terms of getting time with our legislatures and really explaining the, uh, the issues that are burning in terms of being able to um, allow our hospitals to function well. And it really create health equity for the patients we serve. Um, and so um, with coordinating with our lobbyist as well as our government relations, uh, Chris Manson, uh, we did have two separate trips to Washington to talk to our uh, congressional um, and Senate delegates. Um, And then was able to get the necessary in terms of working with uh, our other partners um, to actually get the necessary votes um, to have it untied to the pandemic. And so that was critical for our success as it gives us another two years um, or up until December of next year. um, And then they'll reevaluate it. As you can tell, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in Washington. And so this is just one element that was going on. Um, But it was a crucial element of getting in. We did get bipartisan support, which I think is critical for future endeavors. And I think you're also going to hear later on of just how successful this program has been.
0: Yeah, we do want to talk about some of the data and some of the stats. So, Melissa, I know you have some of those numbers of what we have seen over the past year.
2: Yeah, so over the last year, we've admitted nearly 250 patients um, into the program. We're seeing about an average length of stay of about three to four days. Uh, We've had only one fall, which is a lot to be proud of, especially if you're familiar with the gen med type population, typically in the medical center. Um, We've had no hospital acquired infections, which we're super proud of as well. Yeah,
0: because those all enter into metrics that you want to see, and you need to it, – It's the proof is in the numbers. And I exactly. think the other thing, your patient satisfaction numbers are pretty much off the charts,
2: aren't they? Yeah, it's through the roof. Our patients love being at home, and we see that in our numbers for sure. Um, patients love being with their pets, their family, their own visiting hours. Their friends and family can come as they want. Um, and taking – you know we take for granted simple things like our own bed linens, our own body wash and things like that in the home, but the patients just love being home, and we certainly see that. But
0: is that some of the education process? Because even though we've admitted almost 250 patients, I know you and your team would love to have tripled that number because that means we're kind of you're lessening the impact on the inpatient world as it is. um, And you know the benefits, like you said, of some of those home comforts. But that being said, there's an educational process because there's something to be said for the comfort of traditional brick and mortar.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think we see, you know, sometimes some resistance with sometimes our elderly population. When you tell them, you know, hey, you're sick, you need to come into the hospital, they're thinking, I'm sick, I need to stay here. But, you know, trying to get them to understand that, yes, you're sick, you need to have hospital care, but we can actually provide that in your home, the same level of hospital care in the comfort of your own home. So really just trying to educate the patients and their family on that process is really where the thick of our time is spent. And it's it's more than just about the the actual medical
0: care You know, we were talking before, there's some of those other ancillary things. If you have a spouse who is older, and for people, we're servicing about a 30-mile radius around Peoria. Well, that puts us out into some of our rural communities. And some of our older, more rural residents, coming into Peoria can be scary. It it can add stress. So being able to stay home and their other family can then come care for them who are probably caring for children. And there's the trickle-down effect.
2: Does that help once they kind of see it working? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's really some of that caregiver stress is what you're talking about. And being able to, you know, not have to make the trek and not have to park and walk into the medical center, find your loved one, um, just having them home and not having to do those extra trips really is helpful for the patient and the family, a huge, a huge satisfier.
1: It can also be, you know, the burden on the extended family where, you know, dad is the driver and mom's no longer driving or only drives in the local community you know, just to the grocery store, um, to the local market, maybe to the dollar general and depending on which community we're in. Um, And so then to consider mom would drive into the big city of Peoria. um, And many of us kind of chuckle about that. But I mean, for some, that's a really big travel or just going across a bridge. I can't believe how many people it is because I live on the other side of the river. And there are real people that really Resist crossing over into Peoria just because they have to be on a bridge, and so taking some of that stress away is is significant. But also the stress of you know the families that are, have their other that may live across town or in different parts of the community, and so they're adding two or three hours onto their day to get mom to see dad, um, and and alleviating that comfort it just is. And then you know the kids can use you know FaceTime and can be there when the clinicians are there, and so I mean it really is use of technology and time. And it's the convenience factor that I think that we really see. And I think the other thing that I've learned is some of these patients, it takes them back to yesteryear in terms of it really wasn't until the 1960s where hospital medicine really kind of took off. I mean, and so Melissa and and I, you know, consider, you know, going to the hospital is, you know, going to the hospital. Um, But many people, you know, have their pneumonias treated at home. And so the doctor would come in and give the antibiotics. Um, and, you know, that's, that some of these patients still remember that. Um, and so it's really taking them back some, I mean, you know, seeing how their grandparents were cared for. Um, and not everything was done in, in the hospital. If you had surgery or if you had a baby, you went to the hospital. But if you just had a simple pneumonia or you had, you know, an infection – It wouldn't be uncommon that the doc would come and see you twice a day um, and do the home visits. And so obviously that's a different time of medicine, but we're kind of going back to that. And so I think there's some comfort in that for these patients that do remember it. But then it's also learning a whole new generation that, you know, you can safely be cared for in your home.
0: Yeah, because you're right. You then went to, I have to go to this, the brick and mortar, but the good old-fashioned house call works for something. You bring up another point. You're a physician. What's the process been like educating some of your peers? Because that's a whole different educational process, too. They're used to people, I go to the brick and mortar, I care for my patients, that's that. Has there been an educational process with them as well?
1: Yeah, and... I, we both kind of laugh, um, and physicians are, are wonderful people, um, but they can also be very hard to change their heart and minds. Um, and I think COVID was also huge because it changed a lot of our conventional wisdom of thinking and doing things, um, and the pandemic was truly an emergency, and the way we did things for 30, 40 years um, really got flipped on its head. And so I think that um, it's been challenging and that COVID has helped – move the process along in terms of telehealth, um, which probably we, we would still be talking of just people embracing telehealth. But COVID really, really was the nidus that pushed us off the ledge and pushed, you know, thousands of doctors off the ledge to say it can be done. And I think it also showed where a lot of physicians said patients wouldn't like it. And it's a resounding yes. Patients like the convenience, and it's not ageism. I mean, I know patients that are ninety that are just as good on the tablet as their, you know, thirteen-year-old grand great grandchildren. And so, it's sometimes my age that are in the middle age demographics that are probably the resistance to technology that still would like to be in person or you know, telephone. Um, And not so much, you know, the video and FaceTime. So, but I mean, it's amazing. And one of the benefits of seeing some of the elderly population really embrace the technology and really educate their kids. And so I think that's one of the silver linings that we've seen out of all this.
0: And we've talked before about data. Physicians love data. They're scientists at the end of the day. And that's a slow process when we've only admitted 250 patients. I mean, you would love to have more data, is that some of the challenge, too, to overcome, be like, here, look at these numbers? Yeah, and I
1: think every every most of us are scientific in nature, and so we're ingrained of looking at the data and looking at double-blinded, large, multi-trial centers with large numbers. And what we have is collectively, with the groups that are doing this, we have some collective data that really shows an indication that, one, it can be done safely. It can actually improve patient satisfaction and get as good or better outcomes and we're starting to see that in our own data that you know our readmission rate is lower Um, and some of it's not it's no worse um, uh, but it actually showing is better and and the the naysayers will say our numbers are small and i'll just admit that right now but the preliminary data is really showing that we're as good if not better than the bricks and mortar
0: we talked about you know off air before we started there's another benefit all of your patients aren't going to survive any more than if they come into the hospital and admit it. They're not going to just because of some of the conditions you're treating and their age and a variety of things. Are there pluses to that as well? They have the ability to be with loved ones when the inevitable end comes at home through this but cared for. Does that happen?
2: Yeah, I mean, recently we had a patient who, um, you know, did pass at home at her choice and was able to be surrounded by her loved ones and it really was a beautiful experience not only for the patient her family but my team as well you know it really spoke to a lot of people um, and the family was very appreciative as well of the whole experience and although it's not ideal you know in our program not something that happens frequently you know it it certainly was a situation that uh, really moved a lot of people and we were blessed to be part of it. Talk to
0: me a little bit more about your team and some of you know Is there extra training? Is there different training? Because it's different for them too, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is different. You know, our our team, we have a great team. So, of course, we've got physicians, APNs, nurses, CNAs, um, HCAs, all working together to care for our patients in their different roles. Um, And really, you know, our nurses, we look for nurses who've had a, you know, a med surge type background. Um, We don't typically take brand new nurses because they, they do have a lot of autonomy out in the field in the home. Um, but they're usually, you know, have had some background working in the hospital in some way, shape, or form on, on a floor. Um, but really, they have to be, you know, agile and flexible. There's a lot of change, a lot of moving parts in this type of a program, um, and also confident in their assessment skills. You know, when they're in the home identifying something and being able to escalate that timely uh, to ensure that we are able to take great care of the patient. But then you have the team on the backside, so there's a lot of connectivity, isn't there? There is, Yeah. Lots of connectivity, lots of communication, so that's another big part of our team, you know, being a good communicator, Um, being able to use the tools and the technology, right? So we do a lot of work through Microsoft Teams, of course, Epic, our our, uh, medical record, Um, secure chat inside there, lots of different venues to communicate throughout the day. Um, So, you know, making sure that they're organized and able to communicate well is important as well.
0: We're, OSF Healthcare prides itself on being innovative, being out there in the front trying these things. There aren't a lot of healthcare systems doing this across the state of Illinois, are there?
1: No, we're really the leader in this. I mean, there are five others, um, and we are um, five times Greater in terms of the volume of patients being served than the second, and then it falls down precipitously after that in terms of some programs have only admitted one um, and just proved that they could do it, and then kind of are still working out the logistics. Um, and so, um, and then there's others that have been approved um, but really have not admitted because you had to get a waiver through the government, um, and so some went through the process, but then just either. Um, From time and resources, it it takes a significant commitment um, and it's also a different way of doing things. And so changing um, and creating the culture um, and then doing the work, um, it's labor intensive and it's also – but I think the people that are right before you today really believe in it and know that it's a good model
0: yeah, I have to believe that's having support behind you. And even though if there's slow baby steps, but now, Melissa, you talked about later this year, or hopefully by the yeah. end of the year we have another location.
2: How yeah. exciting is that for you and your team? Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. You know, we're excited to be able to expand this to um, the Rockford market and all of, the, you know, the patients in that area um, and just be able to be part of a new care model up there. So we've been, of course, partnering and working with the team up there. and um, I'm recruiting and hiring for uh, the field clinicians up there. So it's a really exciting time and we can't wait wait to launch it.
0: What else does the future hold? If you could look, and I'm pretty sure I asked you this a year ago, Dr. Gorman, looking into that crystal ball, if you could predict, because we kind of have to get into this government renewal cycle now and the payer mix cycle. It would be ideal to solve some of those problems in a longer longer term fashion. But if you're looking into that crystal ball, where do you see five, maybe 10 years from now with this program?
1: I believe it will really continue to grow. Um, I think some of the limitations will be, I mean, how the government has set it up, making sure there's 30 minutes response times. Um, and so I think we'll maybe have a hub and spoke. Um, and there have been some demonstrations that have been done in more rural, um, kind of in the mountains with Mountain that was doing that. And so using satellite technology, because sometimes when we get into the rural area, internet connectivity is an issue. Um, and so for some of those in more rural areas, you know, it's not as You know, I grew up outside of Chicago, and you don't think about, you know, you know, dropping a signal. I mean, you worry about just being slow when you're in a stadium of fifty thousand people all trying to look up the same thing. When you know there's a fact that's done, and you're like, "Wow, this is really slow," um, versus when you're in some rural parts and there is no signal. Um, And so, some of those things we're working through. And I mean, we do have solutions today, but I think that'll be even more. Um, solved and I think this will just continue to grow and I think the footprint is we can scale this to a much um, larger component. And maybe a solution for some of these healthcare deserts we're running into um, where community hospitals are really struggling today. And I'm not saying that this is going to be the solution, but I think it could be part of the solution because we can't see all patients, but we can definitely care for many patients. And, and I think that's going to be the big thing is what's the next group of patients that we can continue to say safely do that You know, five years ago we'd have been said, you can't do that outside the hospital. And we can.
0: I hear excitement in both your voices. I'll take the final word from each of you. Melissa, I'll start with you. What do you want people to take away from this and what excites you about it every day going to work with this program?
2: Yeah, you know, I think just the ability, you know, the innovation, the way that we're able to provide this level of care in the home is incredible. Um, And not only that, but the team of mission partners who are doing this are just phenomenal. There's not, I just can't say enough good about them, but, you know, they've all spoken about how this has really renewed, like their heart, you know, as to why they got into healthcare in the first place. And it's been very exciting for them. And um, they're all very blessed to be part of it as well. And they love being able to spend this time to focus with their patients one-on-one in their homes and really get to know them. Dr. Gorman,
1: I think she summarized it quite well, um, but it really gets us back to the basics. And really, um, healthcare is personal, and I think it allows us to go into someone's home. and It's amazing of how you can, you know, when you're welcomed into someone's home, it's a privilege. And I think when we can do that and kind of really get to know them, and you just by looking at what's in their what's in their home, from the furniture style to what they collect to Um, Pictures and mementos, you can really get an interpretation of how that patient is doing either well or not so well. Looking into the refrigerator, you know, if it's full of food, you get a pretty good indication how they're doing. And when there's not much in it, you know, in my college days, um, (laughs) I won't go what's all in there, but, you know, there probably wasn't many fruits and vegetables and well-balanced. And you look into that, you can really get the window of, you know, how a patient's doing. And then we can tailor the healthcare to that a little bit more um, and you can look and see, you know, the pill bottles. And some will bring them into the hospital. But when you can kind of see, you know, how patients are compliant, and we can really get a window of how well they're going to do. And if they're at risk, we can kind of surround them with extra resources. So I think that's the blessing that we have in this model, and we really need to expand on it.
0: Well, Dr. Matthew Gorman, Melissa Meyer, thank you for giving us our one year checkup on the digital hospital at home, and we'll continue to look toward great things down the road. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you thank very you much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes at osfinnovation.org slash healthaccelerated.